Romans chapter 3 here this morning. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, let's look at the verses 1 through 9, a way of introduction. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision, much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God? For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, <clears throat> that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderous reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now I'm thankful I've not had to go to court and personally be on trial. We've, we've been in court situations, and uh, it's very interesting to watch some of this, but basically what happens is the, the information is presented, and then, of course, uh, there's a final verdict that comes, guilty or not guilty. And literally, in a, in, a, in a sense, I believe this is what Paul is doing. This is why I've said Paul would not use the Romans Road because the Romans Road for, for salvation present, presentation because he spent chapter 1 and chapter 2 presenting the truth, and now he's going to answer some objections, and he's going to uh, present the final verdict from God as far as our guilt as sinners. With that said, notice here in the verses 1 and following, he's going to answer some objections. Of course, he's just addressed the, the, the Jew in verses 17 and following of chapter 2. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Let's be Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Paul is going to address this in Romans 9 through 11 in, in uh, more detail. But Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, we could liken it this way. Would you, would you be willing to give up your salvation if, if America would be saved? I mean, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's like I've, I've never gotten to that point where I'd be willing to be accursed from Christ so that somebody else could be saved. This is quite a statement that Paul's making here. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. As we look at here again at Romans 3, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit or benefit is there of circumcision? Again, looking at the idea of, of being a Jew, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, if you talk to most people today, they believe the chief, chief thing, benefit of being a Jew today is land. It, it's not the land, it's the fact that they were given the Old Testament scriptures. We, we have made it so earthly and fleshly in reality, the Jews were given the Old Testament scriptures, and so they had a responsibility of getting the Old Testament scriptures and the message of God out to other nations. Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Notice me, Deuteronomy chapter 4. 
Deuteronomy chapter 4. <clears throat> I want to show you a something, statement that uh, Moses makes to Israel before they go into the promised land. And, and again, the, the, the chief benefit of the Jews, Israel, was the fact that they were given the oracles of God. They were given the law of God. Notice me, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. <clears throat> Keep therefore and do them, talking about uh, their obedience to the commands of God. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, I want you to consider that America has had this kind of testimony as well. We, I mean, even England. You think about the nations that have had the word of God, but now we've rejected God, we've turned away from his word. But again, we see that the, the benefit of Israel is the fact that they have been given the word of God, the Old Testament scriptures. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day. Of course, verse 9, Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from the, uh, thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy son's son, and so on. Notice again that they, the benefit that they had was the fact that they had the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, what I think is interesting about that, as, as we understand this scripturally, because they had the Word of God, they had a greater responsibility, they had a greater accountability as far as the truth. I believe that's true in America as well. We've had the Word of God. We've had Christian radio. We've had all of these things for, for generations now. And you think about the fact that now that we, our younger generations are turning away from God, the reality is America in, in general is going to be, have a greater accountability to God because we've had the Word of God. We've had Bible-preaching churches in our, in our land. What is interesting also is it says, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. I think of the example of, of Timothy. Let me read for you uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 20, I believe it is. 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. I believe we have also been given a trust. The word of God. We, we've been given a trust and I believe because of that, we also are going to have a greater accountability and responsibility before God as well. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, talking about Timothy, that from childhood he had known the Holy Scriptures. Right, so you think about young people who grow up in church, and they walk away from God when, when they get out on their own, whatever the case may be. Literally, they walk away from the truth that, that God had revealed to them, shown them from the Scriptures. So again, much every way, the chief benefit of the Jews was because, they had, uh, because the, unto them were committed the oracles of God. Notice the second objection that he's answering, verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Also, notice what he's asking here. So what if some, notice not all, what if some did not believe? Now he's going to again deal with this in Romans 10 and 11 in particular, but I want you to notice here it says, some did not believe. Obviously, there are some Jews who have believed, but not all. So the, the question that he's asking here, kind of a rhetorical question as he's raising an objection here, says, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Now, pay attention to this last statement here. 
Our last question. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Notice it does not talk about faith in God, but it talks about the faith of God. Notice me Hebrews chapter 6. What are we talking about here as far as the faith of God? One of the, my favorite uh, passages that I, I pray often is from Lamentations chapter 3. It talks about uh, God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Notice with me uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 and following. And as we look at this passage, I want you to take notice of the fact that God had promised something to Abraham. It says in verse 13, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, this, this is not swearing with cuss words. This is swearing an oath. That, that's what the Bible's talking about here with this. Saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Notice, he could not swear by anyone greater than himself, so he swore by himself. Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And you think about even the, the picture of that was when, um, was it uh, Genesis 15, where, where the animals were in place, and it says that God went through, Abraham did not. Abraham did not go through the, the, uh, the visual process of confirming this covenant, so God confirmed it himself, not with Abraham. Verse 15, it says, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, wait a minute. I thought he didn't obtain the land. Notice here the promise is relation to the covenant. The promise is relation to, to uh, the seed, the promised seed. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. But when you look at over Hebrews chapter 11, he did not receive the land promise. Again, so many times I, I keep seeing this. We focus on the land and we totally miss the promises that God gave to Abraham. The promised seed, which is Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. God is unchanging, that's what immutability is referring to, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He is a God of truth. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, the most holy place, as we understand from the Old Testament, whither the forerunner for us has entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. As you go back to Romans 3, notice again it says, What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith or the faithfulness of God without effect? As we understand this, it's not all or nothing. I'm so thankful for that because if all the Gentiles had to be saved, then guess what? There's no hope for the rest of us Gentiles who have believed in the Lord Jesus. But as far as the Jews, he's emphasizing this, it's not all or nothing. In fact, it's interesting, an Old Testament example of this that Paul will even mention later in the book of Romans is the idea of, of Elijah. Remember, Elijah said, I alone am left. Woe is me. I'm the only one left, you know, standing for God. What was the answer of the Lord to, to Elijah? I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So if you think about the, the, the reality, God always has a remnant, and so therefore his promises are sure and steadfast. Notice his, his very strong response to this, God forbid. 
Now, I counted this up. Uh, Paul uses this phrase, God forbid, ten times in the book of Romans. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a strong statement. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. I want you to notice a couple, uh, couple of verses in 1 John chapter 5. Notice again he says, let God be true, but every man a liar. <clears throat> Notice 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And in fact, I want for us to look at a little of the context. This is a, verse 6. It says, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven. Now, 1 John 5, 7 is a verse that's called into question in most of the modern Bibles. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. One of the clearest statements of the, the triunity, the triune Godhead. Notice it says here, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Notice that we have the heaven, the, witness, the record in heaven, and we have the witness in earth. I believe that's why, why uh, 1 John 5, 7 is a part of Scripture, because we see in the, the context, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Notice, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Notice this statement. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. For, for example, if somebody says, I'm saved a different way other than just through Jesus Christ, guess what? We've made God a liar. God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Literally, somebody, when they're placing their faith in something, someone other than Jesus Christ, they're calling God the Father a liar. That's a strong statement. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Notice verse 20. 1 John 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So again, Paul, back in Romans 3, says, God forbid, let God be true, but every man a liar. God is always going to be true. He's always going to speak the truth. He cannot lie, it says in Titus chapter 1. Notice then there's a quote that Paul uses here from Psalm 51. Of course, Psalm 51 is when, um, when David is, is uh, pleading for, for God's pardon, for, uh, for his uh, forgiveness, cleansing from, from his sin, the, the uh, sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. With that in context, notice it says, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now, when, when, you, when you understand this, we're talking about the fact that God is always faithful, it says in verse 3. Let God be true and every man a liar. Notice he's, again, quoting from Psalm 51, verse 4. In fact, I want to read the, the whole verse of that. He just quotes the, the last portion of that. <clears throat> Psalm 51, verse uh, 4. Again, in this, in this uh, context of Pleading for forgiveness, verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, 
and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is is, uh, ever before me. Notice, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now, wait a minute. I thought he sinned against Bathsheba. Sinned with Bathsheba and sinned against Uriah. No, the reality is God is the one who established those commandments. The sin was against God, but it affected Bathsheba. It affected Uriah. But notice again it says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David violated three of God's Ten Commandments. Now the reality of this is this. Notice again in Romans 3 it says, as he's quoting Psalm 51 verse 4, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. God is going to be a righteous judge. He will have a right to judge because of these violations of his law. Notice it goes on to say in verse 5 then, but if our righteousness, I'm sorry, if our unrighteousness command the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? God who punishes sin? I speak as a man. Now, pay attention to what he's, what he's uh, listening here as far as his, this next objection. If our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? Is God, is God right in, in taking vengeance and punishing sin, punishing wickedness, if, if um, this is commending his righteousness. So, so if my sin, if my sin is going to draw more attention to God's righteousness, why am I under judgment then? Because then he uses an example. Uh, so if the truth of God is, is glorified, uh, truth of God has more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? So the example he gives here is if God's truth is, is pronoun- more pronounced because I lie unto his glory, why am I judged as a sinner then? Again, notice what he's, what he's emphasizing here. Okay, so, so God is a righteous God. He's given us righteous standards, righteous laws. So if, if, is God just in punishing people? The, the example here that I, I, I think of is Pharaoh. So was Pharaoh accountable for his rejection of God? Absolutely. But yet it says God hardened his heart. So it's not a situation where Pharaoh's, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and so, so God is not just and right in punishing him then, because you know, after all, God is the one who hardened his heart. No, you, you look at it through uh, the book of Exodus, just as many times as it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You see, Pharaoh was still accountable before God. I also think of Judas. Huh. You think about Judas, the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus. Jesus said of Judas, it's better for that man he's never been born. Judas is experiencing extreme judgment in hell today. It'd be better for that man never to be born. So, so what, if there was, what if Judas committed suicide before you know, he had betrayed the Lord? What, what if Judas said, God would have had someone else. But here's the reality. Judas was responsible for his actions even though God knew it was coming. One of the best examples I think of is, is um, what Joseph says in Genesis 50. You meant it evil unto me, but God meant it for good. So does that mean Joseph's brothers were off the hook, that they weren't going to be suffering, you know, suffering for their uh, betrayal of their brother? No, they meant evil, and they received judgment for that. In fact, there's, that's part of the reason why uh, Israel spent so much time in, in uh, Egypt. It says in verse 8, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, 
And as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. People were slanderously saying that Paul was encouraging people to sin. That's very similar to uh, those who um, say, you know, you, you believe in eternal security. Is that not a license to sin? Absolutely not. Eternal security, the doctrine of eternal security is not a license to sin. It's an encouragement to be right and pleasing to the Lord. I want you to understand, as we see in this passage, there's universal guilt and condemnation, not universal salvation. But there's a universal inability to save ourselves. You notice it says in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Are we, Jews, better than Gentiles? No, and no wise. For we have proved before Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Again, this is what chapter 1 and 2 was all about as far as uh, Paul's presentation of this truth. So he's presenting the evidence in court. And notice, all are guilty. All are guilty before a holy God, a righteous God. As it is written, now we're getting to verse 10. (laughs) Notice it says very clearly, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You know, there, there are people who say, They're going to try to be good to get to heaven. Do you realize when people are saying that, what they're actually saying with the the statement? That they are as good as the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the standard by which we will be judged. He is the Word of God. The Word. And when you think about this, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Vershon 1, verses 8 and 10 talks about If we uh, deny that we have sinned, we make him a liar. God says we are sinners. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us. Not one of us can say, I am as good and I'm as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of us. Again, Paul is saying all, religious people and Gentiles both, all of us, are sinners before a holy God. Not one is righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. There's none that understandeth. As, as we think about the, uh, the understanding that God gives, of course, it's through his word, through his, uh, the wisdom of his word, but there's no one that truly understandeth. In and of themselves, they cannot understand their sin issue, they cannot understand the way of salvation and all that. God must reveal it to them. There is none that seeketh after God. I, I think it's interesting in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned. Right, so the voice of the Lord God was in the garden in the cool of the day. So Adam and Eve, oh, Jesus, you finally came. No, where, where were uh, Adam and Eve? They were hiding, right? Oh, no, I heard the voice of the Lord. So the Lord asked, why are you hiding? Have you eaten of the tree? See, the Lord knew what they did, but it's very interesting. They were hiding. They were not seeking the Lord. As sinners, we will not seek God, and I say this so often. People are in search for a religious experience. They're not in searching for God. They're not searching for God as they go from church to church and religion to religion. They're seeking a religious experience. They're not seeking after God. Again, the Bible very clearly says there is none that seeketh after God. That's why Jesus had to, had to come here seeking and to save that which was lost. God had to send his son here to seek us. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. First of all, you notice here they're all gone out of the way. 
Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us are prone to wander away from God. Think about this. We've all gone out of the way. We're doing it our way. Well, doing it our way, the Bible very clearly says, is going to end up in death. Also, what you notice here, they are together become unprofitable. Notice in Matthew chapter 25. I want to emphasize the last of the, the three servants who had received the talents. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verse 24. The first two had the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, it says in verse 24 then, Matthew 25, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. Notice his excuses. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, with interest. Take therefore the talent from him. So this is the one talented servant who did nothing with it. He just hides it in his tent. Therefore take the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, let me ask you, is this, a, this last person a believer or not? Obviously not, because he knows it says in verse 30. And cast, notice, the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe very clearly what this is emphasizing, what Jesus is emphasizing with this is that people have been given the gospel, the opportunity to believe in the gospel. They've they've heard the gospel, they've they've received a gospel tract, whatever the case may be. They've been given the opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus. But they do nothing with it. So guess what happens then? At the end of their life, notice Jesus calls them an unprofitable servant, and they go into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, obviously hell. So here's the gospel has been presented to them, and they do nothing with it. Can, can I emphasize something here? If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, today is the day of salvation. Why? Because the longer you put it off, the longer you're at. In fact, you're adding to your judgment. Because God said, I, I've given you an opportunity. Again, it says here, they're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. Literally, the Lord is going to call them an unprofitable servant because they did nothing with the truth that they were given. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And it's very interesting how, uh, how somebody can live a wicked life, but they almost sound like a saint at their funeral. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Yeah, I'm trying to get to heaven by being a good person. Are you as good as Jesus? It's not going to happen. Their throat, here's the evidence. Now, Paul is presenting the evidence. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. 
The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Notice, first of all, as far as their mouth, their throat is an open sepulcher. Paul here is quoting from Psalm 5, verse 9. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their throat is a place of death. With their tongues, they have used deceit. Revelation 22.15 talks about whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Sounds like our politicians. Sounds like a lot of people today. It's evidence of their unbelief. Notice also the poison of asps, poisonous serpents, is under their lips. It's a quote from Psalm 140, verse 3. Notice all of these quotes from Old Testament Scripture to prove his evidence. Literally, this is what we are going to be judged by is this book right here. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10, verse 7. Psalm 10 is, about, is a psalm about the wicked. How long, Lord, are the wicked going to be prospering? The cursing and bitterness. I, I, mean, I mean, it used to be at least women were a little better about it, but there's times when I, I, women have a fouler mouth than men. Here's the evidence. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. We look at our world today, all the warmongering. People are dying. Millions of people are dying in these wars around our world. Warmongering. They're going to be judged someday. Abortion. Was it over 65 million babies in America? Their lives have been taken. By the way, it's still happening, even though Roe versus Wade was, was reversed. We have bloodshed. Their feet are swift to shed blood. <clears throat> Euthanasia. You know, people are on their deathbed. They, they, they need to be, their, the end of their life needs to be hastened. Assassinations, genocide. It's all going on in our world today. It's evidence that there's a wicked, sinful nature as far as, our, as, far as mankind is concerned. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Notice me, Isaiah 57. <clears throat> Isaiah 57. Sinful mankind actually makes a mess of everything they... <clears throat> They're involved with Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21. Verse 19 is talking about peace. Verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Also, Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Literally, again, we see in Romans 3, talking, using Scripture, Paul says, The way of peace have they not known. Notice, finally, there is no fear of God before their eyes. I believe this is the, the key for America's wickedness. We have no fear of God anymore. Even in amongst modern day Christianity, we've lost our fear of God. We even have a theme now. No fear. No fear. We have lost our fear of God. Proverbs says that a fear of God will cause us to hate evil. Do we truly hate evil? In our lives. Also, Proverbs 16, 6, that will depart from evil. Notice there's no fear of God before their eyes. 
Finally, notice verse 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Notice, now we know. Here's a, something that we know. That the things whatsoever, things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth, first of all, every mouth may be stopped without excuse. And notice, all the world may become guilty before God. Many try to explain away their guilt before a holy God. They try to deny their guilt, justify themselves, or blame others. Can I, can I emphasize very strongly here that at the great white throne judgment, everyone's going to stand individually before God. There's going to be no comparisons. Well, I'm better than so-and-so. No, there's going to be no comparisons. I want you to consider also there's going to be no response to God as he declares their guilt. Notice, again, all the world may become guilty before God. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles. All the world. In fact, James 2.10 says that you keep the whole law and defend in one point, you're guilty of all. All it takes is one offense before a holy God, and we are guilty of eternal judgment. That all the world may become guilty before God. There's going to be no excuses on that day. When God the Father says, you're guilty, violating my law, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. No one is going to say, I'm, I'm going to tell God a thing or two someday. No, all the world is going to be found guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Notice, by the deeds of the law. <clears throat> there are some who believe that we have to keep the, uh, the Old Testament law, or whatever, the, the commands of God in order to be saved. Sometimes even, they even say baptism in order to be saved. No, obedience to the law is not going to save it. What is the purpose of the law? Notice Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 verse 21. As we look a little at the context. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life... Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. Notice that there is no Old Testament law given that can give eternal life. That is not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to show our guilt before a holy God. Jesus would not have had to go to the cross if there was a law that we could follow and obey in order to be saved. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, notice we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Notice, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. I believe what Paul is emphasizing here is the the reason why God gave his law and why God wrote the law on on the Gentiles' hearts was to show us that we had a need of a Savior. How many of you could honestly say you've, you've been perfect? Perfect like Jesus. Do you realize how blasphemous that is? For somebody to say, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to get to heaven. In other words, blasphemously, they're saying, I'm as good as Jesus. The sinless son of God. 
By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. At the great white throne judgment, everyone who has rejected the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ as the way of, only way of salvation, I believe at that day God is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. The great white throne judgment, Revelation 20. The books were open, books of works, but I believe also the word of God is going to be the book by which they're judged. And it says, whoever is not found written in the book of life, they're going to be cast in the lake of fire, which is the second death. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is it something good that you're trying to do before God? Can I emphasize strongly? Everyone will be found guilty before God if they have not accepted the payment on their behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was on the cross and he said, it is finished. Nothing else had to be paid for sin. Well, I've, got to, I've got to do some. That's, that's too easy. I've got to do something good. We can't be good enough. We're all sinners. That's, again, this is what Paul is emphasizing. We're all sinners before our holy God. This is why, again, I, I say, Paul would not use the Romans' road. Because people don't recognize the fact that they are a sinner before a holy God. Oh, yeah, I've done things wrong, but I've, I've not been that bad. No, we've all sinned and all violated transgressed God's law. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to understand this truth. And Lord, if anybody here today does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, they're trusting in something that they can do, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that they would not leave this place making sure that they're trusting in what Jesus Christ has already done, the death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers to emphasize these things as we talk to others. I pray in Jesus' name.